Well, good morning, everybody. Here we are, two weeks out. Christmas is upon us. Many of us are scrambling, wondering where on earth the time went. I mean, yesterday it was August, wasn't it? And of course, this time of year, the rush of time just intensifies, and many of us finding ourselves with a thousand things to do before Christmas. There's relatives to sort out, who's going to stay where, end-of-year concerts, food preparations, presents, Christmas letters, Christmas parties. And it can all be such a rush, can't it? Preparing for Christmas can be such a stress and a struggle. We're here at church for the next three weeks. We're thinking through the perfect Christmas. And this morning we're starting with the perfect Christmas preparations. Before it all descends on us, what's the perfect way to be prepared for Christmas? Is it to have your Christmas presents bought by November? Is it having your menu planned a few weeks out? Is it arranging for a quiet holiday to get away from it all? What are the perfect Christmas preparations? Well, it depends on what you think Christmas is about. Uh, if you think Christmas is all about family, then you prepare by arranging to have the family get together. If you think Christmas is all about the presents, then it's all about making sure you get the right ones. What you think the meaning of Christmas is will determine your perfect Christmas preparations. What we're going to see this morning is that the meaning of Christmas is that a king has arrived. And so preparing for Christmas is all about acknowledging this king, acknowledging his rule, acknowledging his authority. But look, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's open God's word and be reminded of the meaning of Christmas, and then we'll let God's word tell us the perfect way to prepare for it. So first, the meaning of Christmas, and hopefully you've still got Luke 1 open. Uh, we're going to start from verse 30. Uh, the angel Gabriel's just arrived to give Mary a small cardiac arrest. Uh, but once he's calmed her down, he gives her the message that God gave him to speak. Uh, Gabriel's going to tell Mary the significance of the baby she will bear. He tells her the meaning of Christmas, why Jesus was born. And it's all about the fact that Jesus will be king. Luke 1, verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Hear familiar words, I trust. But that's what Christmas is all about. A baby born, named Jesus, God will give him the throne of David, and he'll rule forever. The meaning of Christmas is that a God-endorsed, forever super king has arrived. But before we move on to how to prepare for the fact that this king has come, we should tease this out a bit. Look again, please, at the end of verse 32. I know the familiar words, but please look again. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, there's a lot in there, isn't there? Firstly, the mention of David. David was a great yet flawed king of Israel back in the Old Testament. Uh, we thought about that recently in our psalm series. But God promised David that one would come from his family line who would rule over Israel like none other. Uh, David's son Solomon, he looked the goods, but he fell from grace. And then all their succeeding sons over a thousand years, they were all uh, dismal failures. But here we're told that God will give Mary's baby the throne of his father David. And he'll rule over the house of Jacob, over Israel, forever. Jesus finally 
is the one. But there's even more to this. Because God kept repeating his promise down through the ages and God promised that his coming king would not just rule over Israel, he would also conquer all their enemies and rule over the world. Uh, Just a few weeks ago we looked at Psalm 2 here in church and in Psalm 2 God says this about his king. It's going to come up on the screen for you. Uh, God's talking to his king and he says, Ask of me and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession." You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. You see, to be God's promised king of Israel is to be the one who would have the nations as his inheritance, the ends of the earth, his possession. And Gabriel's message is that with the birth of Mary's boy, that king has arrived. He will rule forever over all the world. His kingdom will never end. Now, many of us have rented a place, uh, maybe a house or a unit you might be renting right now. And when you're renting, every now and again, you get a phone call letting you know that your landlord's coming. Or, worse still, your landlord just pops in unannounced. Uh, Catherine and I were renting in Dubbo back in 2001. And on this particular night, uh, we had decided to cook sausages. Uh, Now, we didn't have a barbecue at the time, so we were cooking them in the kitchen on the fry pan. And there was smoke everywhere. Uh, And as we're busy turning up the exhaust fans up high and opening up windows and turning on the fans and desperately trying to make the smoke alarm not go off, the doorbell rings. And through the thick blue haze of smoke, I make my way to the front door only to discover that our landlord had decided to pop in. It was so embarrassing. When your landlord's coming, you want time to get prepared. You need time to get ready, time to make the place clean, time to decide that you're going to have vegetarian that night. When someone important's coming, you want to make you make a fuss to be prepared for them, don't you? Well, Christmas is about Jesus coming. So what sort of fuss do you make for him? Well, given that the meaning of Christmas is that the God-endorsed forever super king has arrived, then the perfect preparations will mean acknowledging this king's authority. It'll be being humble. Just like Mary was. Uh, if you've still got Luke 1 open with me, uh, please keep your eyes uh, peeled. As we keep reading the chapter, Mary is held up to us as a model believer. What we see in her as she prepared for the first Christmas is held up to us as the way we should prepare too. And so how is Mary pre- uh, prepared for the arrival of God's appointed king? By being humble. Uh, after the angel left, Mary then went to her re- relative Elizabeth and when Mary arrived, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she spoke of how Mary would give birth to the Lord. We'll pick it up in verse 45. Elizabeth is finishing prophesying. Verse 45, Elizabeth says to Mary, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Now notice the humility of Mary here. God has told her that she'll give birth to God's Christ. But she's a virgin. So how can that happen? Well God said it would. And in verse 45 we're told that Mary believed that God would make it happen. In the face of the seeming impossible, Mary humbly trusted in the word of God. As well as that, Mary acknowledges that she desperately needs God. Uh, In verse 47, she rejoices in God, 
her saviour. Mary knows that she needs God to save her, just like everyone else. She's got sins, just like the rest of us, that need forgiving. And then in verses 48 and 49, people will call her blessed because it's God who has done great things for her. She recognises that it's God who is achieving all this. And so we see that Mary's not arrogant, insisting that God can't do the seeming impossible, and she's not proud in thinking that she doesn't need God. Mary's preparations for that first Christmas was to be humble. And next we discover that our preparations are to be exactly the same. Uh, Pick it up in verse 50. Uh, Mary now moves on to speak of what the coming of the Christ will mean, not just for her, but for everyone. And since the king has arrived, well, then there's the need for humility. Verse 50, uh, Mary speaking about God. Look for who receives his mercy, who God lifts up. Verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the, the humble. So who receives God's mercy? Well, it's those who fear him. And who does God lift up? But the humble. The proud are scattered, the rules are brought down, but the humble are lifted up. The coming of God's appointed king calls for humility. Which makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, the principal walks into the classroom, you sit up and do your work. The police arrive at a party, you listen to them and do what they say. Your boss walks in at work, you show them some respect. The king of the world has arrived, you bend your knee. Thinking about how you and I should treat Jesus, it's not the time for thinking too highly of ourselves. It's not the time for pride or arrogance. It's not the time to try and flex our muscles and see if we can tell him what to do. The one with all authority in heaven and on earth towers over us. He dwarfs us. It's the time for fear and humility. Now, sometimes at Christmas, people are lulled into thinking of Jesus as this pretty little baby, meek and mild. Uh, A cute and cuddly Jesus is a Jesus we can handle, isn't he? He doesn't make any demands, doesn't make any claims. He's just a quaint story. He makes us feel warm. There's stuff in there about peace and goodwill. That sounds nice too, doesn't it? But leaving Jesus as a cute baby is just silly. I mean, he did grow up. And anyway, these words of Mary calling for humility are even before Jesus was born. And did you notice that everything Mary says is in the past? Uh, She says that God has performed mighty deeds with his arm. God has scattered those who are proud. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. Now, when Mary spoke those words, it's not that God had already done them. Jesus wasn't even born yet. But it's so certainly going to happen that she can speak as if it already has happened. It's a common Old Testament way of speaking about what God will do. You can speak as if God's already done it because he most definitely will. It's a bit like in the cricket. When Australia has England nine wickets down in their second innings, England's still 300 runs behind, Australia's only batted once, and there's still three days to play. You tell I'm living in dreamland. Now, at this stage, you'll hear commentators say that Australia has won the game. Now, they haven't, have they? They've still got to get one more wicket, but it's so certainly going to happen that you can speak as if it already has. That's what's going on here with what Mary said. Jesus hadn't been born yet, but God has said that he will be. 
and that he will have the throne of his father David and that he will rule forever and his kingdom will never end and the proud will be scattered and the humble will be lifted up and it most definitely will happen. And we know that it already has. Jesus grew up, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead. He's victorious over sin and death and evil. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He right now is ruling over all creation. He dwarfs us. Christmas is about the arrival of the king of the world who scatters the proud and lifts up the humble. And so how do you prepare for Christmas? With humility. But what is it to be humble? What does humility look like in practice? Well, it's not being proud or arrogant, thinking that you don't need to fall into line before him. Humility before Christ is to acknowledge his rule over you. That if he's the God-appointed eternal king over all the world, then his rule over us is absolute, total, complete. And so being humble before him is to acknowledge that every moment of your existence is in his service. Humility will mean orientating every one of your decisions and actions and feelings around Jesus, living completely for him and not at all for yourself. That your purpose in life and your plans in life are only what serve the purposes and plans of Christ which means that humility before the Lord Jesus will also mean admitting that you haven't given him his due. Humility before Christ necessarily involves a broken spirit because none of us have rightly honoured Jesus as the absolute king over us. And so genuine humility will mean willingly admitting that you're wrong and he's right, that he knows best and you want to live for him But you haven't. And so bowing before his throne and begging for mercy, seeking forgiveness. Now, when you come before God, say when you're praying, is this how you come to him? In total broken humility. Sadly, there's times when we come before God brimming with confidence based on how we've been going in our own godliness. You know, when you've been disciplined in Bible reading and prayer and you've been committed to church and you're doing things for others and you're telling people about Jesus. And if we're not careful, our pride kicks in and we start to congratulate ourselves. And when we pray to God, we pray as if he owes us something because we've been doing so well. Well, maybe you're right at the other end of the scale where instead of coming before God in total broken humility, we basically don't come before God at all. We manage life well. We cope with what life throws at us. We're resourceful. We're competent. We've learned that we can do most things on our own. We rarely need to ask for help. We've got it all pretty covered. And it's very easy to transfer that sort of thinking to how we relate to God. And so we live pretty much independently of God. And so we're not someone who prays very much. But it's only when disaster strikes that our bubble of self-sufficiency pops into nothingness. Now, neither the the proud or the independent are being humble before Christ Jesus, are they? 
And if you're finding yourself a little like this, we're being reminded loud and clear this morning that in this life, in this world, a king reigns. And it's not you. And it's not me. And Christ Jesus rightly demands our all. He graciously gives us everything for this life, whether we recognise it or not. We need him for everything and we don't bring anything to his table. True humility before the Lord Jesus is to bow before his throne and beg for mercy and seek forgiveness. True humility is desiring every moment of your life to be in his service. True humility is letting Christ tell you what life is about and making your plans only serve the plans of Jesus. True humility is desiring and choosing to live completely for Christ and not at all for you since he's the divinely appointed king of all the world. And look, for those who are willing to bend their knee to Jesus, there's real joy in humility. Back in verse 50, God's mercy extends to those who fear him. In verse 52, God lifts up the humble. Or have a look at verse 53. Verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. You see, humility before the king is to receive his mercy. It's to be lifted up. It's to be filled. It's to be helped. And as we keep reading on in Luke, we discover what all this means. The mercy of God is that he'll not treat us as our sins deserve. That instead of God raining down on us in terrifying anger and judgment, Jesus Christ died in our place under the judgment of God. And so that when you come before his throne and beg for mercy and forgiveness, forgiveness is given. But the joy of humility doesn't stop there. Not just forgiven, but we're lifted up to become God's servants and his children. And instead of wandering aimlessly through life, empty and wasting, God makes us into his people, living with his purpose for our lives. He also fills us with his spirit. And we're changed from the inside and given new hearts that desire God. And so God lives within us. And he's empowering us to delight in Jesus and to give our all for Jesus. And our hearts are thrilling at his name and his kingdom. Christ Jesus, so worthy of our lives and so worthy of our praise. And we'll gladly live for him all of our days. Now, isn't that how you want to live? Humbly before our God and Saviour, the Lord Jesus, and rejoicing in him and his ways and his rule, living completely for him, not at all for ourselves, hungering for Christ, because he's good, seeking his praise in all that we do, joyfully making all of our plans, serve the Lord Jesus, delighting in God, and saying with Mary, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. Because he has sent his king, my king, your king, the wonderful Christ Jesus. Christmas, it's all about the arrival of the great king. None other than our lovely and wonderful Lord Jesus. And so the perfect way to prepare for him is to live the joy of humility before him. And not just today. (laughs) Not just today, but forever. Into eternity enjoying the wonderful, divine rule of our great King, the Lord Jesus.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we delight that your Son is King. We are thrilled that he sits at your right hand and he is in charge. We rejoice in you, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we pray that we would live not just today but forever, humbly before him, gladly enjoying his wonderful rule. Father, we praise you for our Master, for our Lord, for our God and Saviour, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.